J. Lewis Martin was a biblical scholar whose research into the theology and historical background of the Bible changed the way today's scholars view the New Testament. Martin graduated from Texas A&M in 1946 with a degree in electrical engineering, and later he studied theology at Andover Newton and at Yale. In the late 1950s and early 60s, he sat under the tree of theologian Ernst Kossmann, whose interpretation of the letters of Paul had a formative influence on Martin's hermeneutics, his way of interpreting the Bible. For 20 years, Martin taught as a professor of biblical theology at Union Theological Seminary in New York York City, and his history and theology in the fourth gospel, now in its third edition, was first published in 1968. Joel Marcus, professor emeritus of New Testament and Christian origins at the Divinity School at Duke, has written that what distinguished Martin's approach to the writings of the New Testament was his passionate urge to hear the texts with the ears of their first hearers. I'm highlighting Martin's work this morning for a couple of reasons. The first reason is because we've heard readings from John's Gospel for the last three Sundays, and the second reason is because there's a movement, I guess we might call it, a movement within the church and a movement evidenced locally by a resolution passed at this year's annual convention in the Episcopal Diocese of Washington. Resolution number four directs the Standing Commission on Liturgy and Music to recommend revisions to the church's appointed lectionary readings for Holy Week, so to remedy passages from John's Gospel that use language which has long been interpreted as anti-Semitic. The argument in the resolution is that we can and we should remedy these passages from John's Gospel and that when and if we do, we can maintain the meaning and the intent of the original texts. In remembering my own obligation as I stand before this camera, an obligation I carry as the preacher assigned to you for this morning's online services, And while I acknowledge to you that it is in fact my intention to preach a sermon and not argue in this vacuum about a past resolution, the words past and resolution carrying a prophetic ring, perhaps, it seems to me that whatever the meaning and intent of the original Greek texts, and we might add here, whatever the meaning and the intent of the scribe who wrote the text of the manuscript we happen to be reading, there was, in fact, no remedy for the rift between members of John's community of faith. And the fact that there was, at the time, no remedy for their rift is, in fact, the exact reason we might need to read and study John's gospel, and especially today to read it just as we have discovered it, just as it was written, and regardless of what we think the writer meant to say, and to read it with care and with caution. We should read John wondering about the possibility that in its own day, the gospel itself was inspired by a Holy Spirit as a warning, not an instruction manual for hatred or for ostracization, maybe to read it as an object lesson. As we turn the pages of the Bible, we find that there are lots of warnings and that a lot of them are hiding right there on the surface of the texts, if not to say within the very texts themselves. Uh, 
One might think of the exchange between the prophet Nathan and that certain Davidic, Davidic king when Nathan tells David a story about an evil man, a story which sends David into a flying rage about the man's behavior. We are to take special note of the prophet's response to David's rage. Sir, you are that man. Lewis Martin saw the Gospel of John as a two-level drama that simultaneously tells a story about the earthly Jesus and about a Christian community caught up in the vicissitudes of late first century Jewish sectarian strife. The crisis is most evident in chapter 9 when a man born blind is thrown out of the synagogue when he professes faith in Jesus. As John Bartlett puts it, John's gospel reflects a recent family fight between Jews, between Jews who remained loyal to the synagogue and Jews who chose to follow Jesus. Those who chose to follow Jesus were being forced, probably against their expectations and certainly against their intentions, to leave behind what they had most cherished, the identity, nurture, and meaning of the synagogue community. At this point in the pandemic, members of faith communities throughout the world have had a taste of what it means to go without the nurture and meaning that our faith communities and our many communities may offer. But we do have our Zoom and our Christian identity is intact. While we are being called into creating and developing new ways of being church, no one is asking us to leave our old identity behind. At least not all of it. Underneath the inescapable rift in John's gospel is a Jesus promise. Not a John promise, but a Jesus promise. The Jesus promise proclaimed in John's gospel is that by choosing Jesus, by choosing Jesus we choose one way of inheriting eternal life, life which is rich and full in this world. I like changing the order of those words to say that by choosing Jesus, we are choosing not eternal life, but also to live eternally, to live on this side of our graves, to live in Jesus' promise now and not just to hold on to it when we die. When we hear John's gospel carefully and cautiously, I think, and without any remedy, we can hear it like Lou Martin hoped that we all might. We can hear it with the ears of its first hearers. With them, we might hear a warning about the ideological differences of the presence, which present, which threaten our collective future on one hand, and on the other, that no matter which side of any argument we find ourselves on, the road to life in Christ is one that both begins and ends in death, either physical death or dying to all the familiar and cherished commitments and associations and ignorance and preference and privilege gained via status, via race or religion, creed. Read it so that we can fill in our own blanks, our own that man is you blind spots when we encounter challenging biblical texts. With the first hearers, we can hear Jesus teach us that very truly, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. John's gospel, as unintentional as the outcome might have been, begs us to move the warning of death and the promise of life beyond the circle of either Jews or Christians to include all people 
For those of us in the church today, it might help us in thinking about the ways we might be starting from scratch as we both endeavor and long to regather as a community, a community called to proclaim and offer new life in and for the world, a community called to be recognized for what it does, not what it says it will do. As we enter Holy Week, if we are faithful in our reading and in our hearing, we will hear much more from John's Gospel. In those hearings, and despite the predicaments and the propensities reflected in the writings of any evangelist, we might remember that in all four Gospels, there is only one person who managed to love both enemy and foe, friend and neighbor, near and far. His name is Jesus. And it's Jesus that Christians are called to follow, not Matthew, not Mark, not Luke, and not John, just Jesus. As our Lenten series approaches its finale, may we hear the call of Christ to grow in mercy, to grow in compassion, to grow in love, even or especially when that means that we must start from scratch. I offer this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.